The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. It's time for another edition of the Welsh Wire. Now with another interesting interview, here is Sherry Welsh. Today, we're talking with Mark Forster from Crystal Flash. Welcome, Mark. Welcome. Thank you very much. Welcome here. Thank you. We're glad to be here. You bet. We are glad to be here. Tell us about Crystal Flash and about your role within the company, Mark. Thank you. Uh, So by title, I'm Vice President of Sales and Marketing, and I focus mostly on our residential business, which is about 30,000 home heat customers throughout the state of Michigan. Uh, And Crystal Flash is... uh, 85-year-old energy delivery company, distribution company, that in the last couple of years has just moved into an ESOP. So the employees now own the the company. And so that's been pretty exciting for myself and my teammates. That's very exciting. Yeah. I bet that was well-received. It was. And uh, not everybody understands what beneficial ownership means, but it's an interesting uh, concept to get your head around. Yeah, and, they're beginning to understand it, I bet, every day. Yes. So we don't all get to vote on where the, whether it's Coke or Pepsi. <laughs> 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 there are managers in the business that get to make those decisions, but yes, they get the benefit without having to put... Uh, financial skin in the game, but they put in blood, sweat, and tears. So Right, right. And they recognize that there's a payoff for them at the end of all that too, which is really phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's Thanks. great. That's so. great. And tell us what you do here, what your role is specifically. So I'm again, I'm the vice president of sales and marketing. So I uh, lead the business on the residential side where we provide propane and fuel oil to heat homes in the state of Michigan. We have about 30,000 customers. And then the other part of my role is the uh, vice president of marketing where I help um, on a general basis uh, support all of our business on the marketing side. Okay. Okay. And you've been with the company how many years now, Mark? Four and a half. Four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So you came into, at that point, an 80 and a half year old company, and you maybe found some challenges in the organization and maybe in the industry, too. Yeah. So the 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 industry, well, <clears throat> Crystal Flash is very much like the industry other than our size. So we're the 25th largest propane retailer in the country. Wow. And so, um, in Michigan, um, we're, you know, number four behind the national companies like Farrell and Amerigas. Wow. Okay. And so most propane companies are, and fuel oil companies are very similar, family owned, multi-generational, very slow to adopt technology and techniques. And most of the people that are involved with Crystal Flash, our teammates, this may have been their first and only job. So no, we have okay. a lot of 30, 40, 50 year employees and um, in a lot of companies that's unusual, but not here. That's and great. so that's our strength. And then also then our challenge is, is to expose our teammates to new techniques, to new options, the new art of the possible, if you will. Right, right. So that's been one of the challenges. It has. Thinking yeah. outside the box when the only box you've known for many years maybe is Crystal Flash. So how do you do things Absolutely. differently? How do you innovate? Absolutely. Yep. And so that's, um, I think, has been our opportunity here the 
the past few years. And it wasn't until we've had, I think, a complete change in our executive team, most from outside the industry, that we really started to get some traction in that in that realm. So our we have a new president, CEO, um, myself, director of IT, um, our new CFO, and then Brad, my counterpart on the commercial side of the business. Um, they're all new to the company. And so they're bringing in their perspectives and all of them came from outside of the fuels distribution. Oh, which is great. Brings a real unique perspective then to the organization. We think so, but I'm not sure that everybody else agrees with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're doing pretty well. So you, you've got some things going right for you here. And you, you've made some changes since you came in on the sales and marketing side and looked at things a little bit differently. We Tell did. us about that. Yeah. So I, I was fortunate that I grew up in Illinois Toolworks, ITW, which is a Fortune 150 company based in Illinois. And they're big on separate and focus. So if something got to be over $5 million on a P&L, we would split it into its own business. And we looked for what we called bright lines. So we would look for little pieces of business that we could separate out. We weren't making judgments, big or small, better or worse. What we were saying is that it's difficult to concentrate and focus on one area um, if you don't have it separated. And so they taught me a lot about that. And uh, so we've we've deployed that here. That's in- an interesting concept. Interesting. I, I don't know that many companies approach it that way, but I can I can see why that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. So I, I found in my career that not many have. They And there's all, often misconceptions about really what that means. Most people think it's bigger customers are better than smaller customers. And that's not my take. That may be some. It's just that, hey, they're different, right? They have different needs. They have different wants. They have different expectations. And I can't treat them all the same because they're both probably going to be disappointed when I do that because then I have to average out or um, level set my level of service to those customers. But if I can separate it, focus on it, then I can provide a level of service to this set of customers that's different than this set of customers. And it, it's neither one of them are um, – I'm not saying that this is better than another. I'm just saying it's different, right? Right. They have different needs. And different wants. Right. And, and different ways that they respond probably to your marketing efforts. Absolutely. Different service levels <laughs> that they might require. Exactly. And interest in, you know, for my, for instance, I recently went through my own home finances and I looked and almost everything is, is auto pay. I don't write a check anymore. Right. And when I do, it throws um, a wrench into the works. It's like, oh, I forgot to send that check. Right. I've got one right now that I owe somebody a hundred dollars and I keep forgetting to send the check. Right. right. So, um, so my needs are different. Other people write a check, you know, they, they sit down and put the checkbook every week and that, that's just not me. So it's not a judgment. It's just, you know, we want to be able to, to reach our customers where they want to be reached at. Right? So what were some of those differentiators that you used in this work to segment out those different $5 million or less, maybe, pieces of the business? Yeah. So in the residential side, Sherry, there's 30,000 customers. Wow. And so when we looked at that, we wanted to get it down to a manageable group and in my mind, it couldn't be any more than 4,000 customers in a group. So I started 80, what I call 80-20, right? It's the Pareto principle. So 80% of your volume comes from 20% of your customers. So we just cut our, our customer based on that alone, only on volume. Now, 
I've done it in the past by gross margin. I've done it by product line. I've done it by industry. It just so happened that for Crystal Flash, volume made the most sense at this time. Okay. We may change that going forward as we gain sophistication and understanding of our customer base and their needs. And so I broke it into 10 segments, 10 tiers, as we call them. And and all my counterparts said that's way too many. And it is. Um, But it was the only way I could get it under 4,000 customers per tier. Sure. And so I have some tiers that are down in the 900 um, customer range, and I have other tiers that are up in the two, three, 3,500 customer range, right? So that's how we ended up on 10, played with eight for a little while, played with nine, and then ended up just wanting to be equal segments of 10, right? Sure, so, uh, sure. And for us, it doesn't quite come out to 80-20 from a volume customer count standpoint, and that's really not the most important thing. It could be 3565. It could be 2575. Mm-hmm. It really, it's the principle that I'm looking to segment these pieces so that I can look at them and react to them in the way that they should be reacted to. Right. So what I hear you saying is market segmentation can happen in a lot of different forms. I mean, you could, you mentioned you use gross margin, you can use customer volume, you could, maybe you could do it by location. But in your case, you had, you had to pick a lane and stick with it. And in your case, it was volume that separated it. And you, you break them into tiers. Mm-hmm. You broke it into 10 tiers. Some might do much less than that. But for you to get a handle around the business, that seemed to be the most logical way to do it to start with. That could change perhaps over time. Sure. Yeah. We've already lumped them into three basic segments. So we have a a high, medium, and low. And so top three tiers, middle three tiers, and then the bottom four. So, you know, but I'm a big believer on let's break it as far apart as we can. We can always roll it up together, Sure, but it's hard to split it apart. So, right. And so that's, you know, we'll just go to the nth degree and then, and then over time we can morph to something else. But I always want to look at the data in those very granular um, aspects. Right. Right. And then when you find some commonalities that may make sense to bring a couple of those tiers together, you can do that, but you've looked at it down to the micro level and can really get a sense of what's happening and that piece of the business. So you've done this before. I have not, but <laughs> I love the concept. I think I need to do it. Yeah. Maybe even in my own business, yeah. I love the idea. So, yeah, that's so the concept. You, you learn some things along the way when you're doing this. Yes. What What were the aha moments for you as you started to roll out this segmentation at Crystal Flash? Well, because we um, at Crystal Flash, we made a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call them assumptions. That's probably the, the bad way to present it. I would say that we had early information that we have just let live for a long time, and it was no longer true. So we lived on averages. Our average customer was this. Our average customer was that. Our average customer used this kind of volume. Well, one of the first things that we found is that, well, to have an average, you have to have people that are doing much more than that. You have people that are doing much less than that. That's right. I just didn't know how much more, how much less until I went through this exercise. And what I found is that our largest customers were doing two, three, four times what we considered to be our average customer. Oh my, wow. And we found that some of our smaller customers were doing 10 times less than what our average was. And so, but and we you were, really did not know that. I you, did not know that. No one did. To, if they did, they weren't sharing the information and it was long forgotten. And so we were treating each of those customer segments very similarly right. in pricing and in uh, process and services delivered. 
And uh, so there was no differentiation. And it's not about denying lower volume customers level of service. No, but no. it's certainly we weren't able to provide um, an upper tier level of service to those larger customers because we couldn't recognize that they even existed. Right. And you want to make sure you take care of those upper tier customers because they are keeping your business moving. They are. And, you know, one of them equaled, um, you know, five to 10 of the smaller customers. Absolutely. So when we lost it, we hurt. And Huge that, loss. And yep. in Crystal Flash, we counted a customer as a customer and our business is putting propane through tanks of, um, and that tank doesn't know if it's running 200 gallons or if it's running 2000 gallons. To us, it was all the same. And so we felt the same way about when we lost that customer or when we gained that customer. So we didn't celebrate our wins like we maybe have could. And sure. maybe we gave, um, credence to some losses that, that weren't as big as we thought they were either. Right. And when we looked at our business overall, what we found is that our customer mix ultimately was changing because we were running only on the metric of number of customers. And so we had a net loss of customers for a couple of periods a year. But what happened is that the mix of those customers changed. So their volume changed and our net gain in volume was exponential. And that was being masked in our business because it's very weather dependent. Sure, sure. And so if you have a cold winter like we did three years ago, it looked really, really good. And when you had a couple of warm winters like we have most recently, it didn't look as good. And so by breaking that apart and looking at the segmentation, it allowed us to look at our business much differently. And we were able to normalize the customer's usage based on an average um, temperature range throughout the state of Michigan. And that then told us, hey, listen, you're growing your business and you're growing it much more than what you think you are. You just couldn't see it before. right? And so when we couldn't see it, we couldn't explain it internally to our teammates and we couldn't ask them to react or act differently as a result of. And since then, you asked what's different. So now we can share with them, this is what's happening with our business. We are growing our business. It's just not growing the way that you historically thought it was. So how do we continue that? For some reason, the larger volume customers are attracted to Crystal Flash. What are those reasons? What right. Do, do more of what's attracting them. Right. right? Work harder to retain them. Work keep harder them to happy. retain them. And mm -hmm. um, so that's that's really the biggest change in the last year and a half to our business is just the focus that we've been able to put on those customers and on those segments by all 260 employees of Crystal Flash has been phenomenal. That is terrific. So have you been able to grow that that tier one percentage of your business or um, you know, eliminate losses, loss of customers in that segment because of the focus yes. that you put on that? Both. So to give you an idea, in that tier one, back in 2014, we had 650-ish customers in that that first year. We now have 970. Aha. Uh -huh. And some of them are probably brand new, but maybe some are tier twos that, that moved, you've moved up. to Absolutely. tier one. Because that's another thing that you have the opportunity to do now, right? Yes. Is say, what does it take to be a tier one? How can we get those tier twos? What do we need to do to move them to use more of our services or rely solely on us? Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Exciting. Yeah. That is really great. And and let me ask you this. What about 
forecasting too. Did this have an impact on your forecasting ability as an organization? It does. So we still have a lot of work to do there, right? In understanding um, demand generation and uh, what the needs are of the business based on these tiers. But for the first time, again, 30,000 customers, hard to break it apart and really come up with a, a forecasting model. By breaking it into 10 tiers, we can create a forecast model 10 different ones. We could split each tier in half and do 20, right? It's just, it's just separate and focus, separate and focus, separate right. and focus. So that all the way from our service side of our business to the operational um, portion where we're actually putting the fuel into the tanks or our service technicians that are going out and visiting those customers or simply going out and painting tanks and washing them in the summer months. You can't do 30,000 in a year. I know we've tried. But we certainly can do a couple of thousand. So what couple of thousand are we going to do and at what frequency, right? And so those types of things help drive and focus our business in a way of trying to delight our customers. Absolutely. And it's working. It's working well. It is. Yeah. We just need some cold weather. I'm sorry, folks, but that's uh, (laughs) in the winter of 2017, you know, we are asking for just a normal. We don't need it anymore. Any more or any less. Right. We want that for you, too. Thank you very much. (laughs) We We want that that. as well. So if anybody's got any influence out there, please, we we would appreciate it. Right. Bring some snow. Bring some cold. Um, This is a work that obviously you don't do alone, Mark. How big is your team to keep track of these statistics and data and analyze this? Well, I've actually not as big as you would think. I've got a very capable uh, young man by the name of Joel that works with me, and he's He's really been there side by side with me to help me crunch the numbers much better at spreadsheets than I am and pivot tables and all of that. And uh, so it doesn't need to be a huge team in order to do this, okay. right? Now, we have put in a lot of hours and we've tapped into other parts of our of our team as well. So the accounting team is always a great place to go to find people who know how to use spreadsheets and know how to manipulate pivot tables. Sure. Right? Cause you, you literally are tracking most of this through Excel. It sounds like, as opposed to some kind of a, a internal ERP system or. Exactly. Yeah. We're okay. pulling all of that data out. We're manipulating it through access databases and Excel spreadsheets. Wow. Uh, we're using our CRM, which I know that you'll hear a podcast about that in order to gather some of the data. So we have some technology shift that we're doing right now um, and a new ERP going in, in in the coming months. But we've had to pull it all out. And my advice to anybody that would want to do this is that where I made a mistake early in my career and even at Crystal Flash was that I would I would ask for certain data. And I, I've come to understand that it's just better to ask for all of the data. Get all of the data. Find somebody that can help you chug it through a spreadsheet because you just don't know where that bright light's going to come from. Absolutely. And so by telling somebody, pull this query with these parameters or these variables, limits really what the output could be. Right, because you're, you're making an assumption. You're making assumptions and you don't know what the universe looks like. And you really need to see the universe as you start this process. You can move and and get much more focused later on as you start analyzing the data. But to begin with, start with the whole enchilada would be my advice. And it helps you dispel the myths. It confirms or validates data that you that you thought you knew, right? It may even dispel the data that you thought you knew. For sure. Um and uh it just it adds a level of clarity that's not possible when you, you have in your mind a question of where that data is coming from and how it was gathered. Right. 
Right. So I heard a couple things. One, if you want to get into this and do market segmentation in your operation, in your business, you don't have to have a lot of sophisticated systems to do that. Good Using access or a good Excel worksheet, you can probably break this out and start to look at the numbers real easily. You don't need to have a sophisticated IT program or software to be able to do that. I think that that actually having sophistication hinders you. Okay. And, I think and that it removes per- you from the data. And a good person in the accounting department that can help you with the numbers is key. Yeah, it was for me because I'm just not that good at it. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? I mean, when you're looking at data, I think that that's a, an important part. You got to have the right people on your team to be able to slice and dice the numbers for you. And like you said, don't make assumptions. Look at all of the information. Don't take pieces of it and make some assumptions for what you think you know, but look at all of it very broadly so you can start to find patterns and then you can make good decisions from that. Great advice. Is there anything else that you learned, Mark, along the way that would help listeners if they're thinking, wow, I'd like to take a look at this in my operation? Well, I I wouldn't discount internally the lift that's necessary, depending on your organization and the culture and um, what it may or may not have been used to. So, you know, there was a lot of learning. There was a lot of um, pre-reading and there was a lot of greasing the rails, if you will, internally to get people to understand releasing it in smaller bits so that people would uh, start to get the concept of it. And um, well, it's not radical. I mean, it's just when you think about it, it's it's common sense when you. It is, you know, it's not uh, wizardry or magic. Um, No, it it is. You have to bring your teammates along because they they have to buy into it, right? And they have to understand it, and that that would be a key that I would I would share with people is that bring your executive team and your management level team along with you. Get expose others to it. What was interesting is that when we started to, to to shine the light on this data, people would say intuitively got it. And they were like, ah, now I see why such and such happened. Or that makes sense based on what I was seeing, you know? Right. And, you know, what you're saying makes sense to me. And, um, you know, while it, it was a lift, once... Once we got there, the team has has jumped on it. It was like, oh, I can see how I can use this, right? Or I'm going to start using it this way. And and the managers are starting to to adapt and use it their own way. That's terrific. No small feat, no easy feat, as you say, for a company that's 85 years old, has people who have worked here for years and years, perhaps some generations that have been here and haven't seen things differently for a long time, don't know any different because they've not worked at another organization. You brought in a radical idea, obviously communicated well, brought the teams, the managers on board with it, and they embraced the data and the information that you were sharing with them about market segmentation as to how you could make the company better. And it's turning out to be a real win for not only the organization, but for the customers of Crystal Flash too. Well, thank you. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, praise i will say that my boss is good at this um and so he was very helpful in guiding and mentoring me i think my teammates played a huge role um, you bet. My executive teammates jumped on board and, and got their teams to align and they've embraced it so the alignment um, is so important yeah so while i'll take credit for kicking the pebble down the hill um there was a lot of other people that helped along the you way bet. So, you bet it took the whole team but you got it started and that's great so what's next for your market segmentation project what's what's the next evolution what's around the corner here yeah so i think that there's a couple of main things one is that we really want to understand those customers in the segments 
um, both by uh, their use of our product, but also who they are as people, right? So are there some demographic um, segmentation that can go on inside of the tiers that we've already put together, right? And so when we talk about volume-based, these are generally either very old homes that are drafty, right? Mm-hmm. Or or large homes or both, right? They could be right. both. Um, and so there may be some demographics that are there that will help us um, speak to those customers in a certain way, right? The way that they want to be spoken to and offered um, services that um, that will add value to their lives. The other piece is we're looking at it from a pricing standpoint. How do we use this to guide us and our pricing methodology and modeling out as we go forward over the next three to five years? I think as far as how we service customers on and um, inbound them, maybe not the right word, but as we onboard them, probably mm-hmm. a better way to put that, um, they may have different needs um, based on um, their volume. So by looking sure. at uh, that, those segments, it'll allow us to to uh, to understand those and adapt to those. So that's what we're going to spend 2018 working on. If we can get some of that down the road, I think that'll set us up real well for 19 and beyond. Absolutely. Well, you're you're on the path to do that for sure. Between the ESOP and what you've done with market segmentation, I got to believe it's caused a bit of a culture shift within the organization too, within the employees and the team. They probably feel much more ownership and feel really good also about the way the organization operates and takes care of its customers. Have you seen that culture shift? This must be a great place to work. <laughs> it is. And we would like more teammates. So we're growing all the time. So if you're out there, please come on over. <laughs> Excellent. You betcha. But, What's uh, the website? Where can we, where can we find out more about Crystal, Crystal Flash? Flash. Com. That yeah. is yeah, There terrific. is a careers page page there. Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, we're starting and there's a lot of things that we're doing and this is just one piece of it. Um, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, Sherry, is that um, the other thing that the segmentation in, uh, gave us is a common internal language. Oh, yeah. And so now we could speak to each other using the same terminology. Mm -hmm. And so we knew what a big customer was and what a small customer was. We know what a medium customer is. We know we have cute little names for them as well that we've, but I won't say over the podcast (laughs) because they're internal names. But, uh, you know, but it gives us a common language. So when we, um, it really cuts through a lot of misunderstanding, adds clarity into conversation. We say, Hey, we're going to do this for these three tiers. Everybody knows what we're talking about. There's no question. All on the same page. All on the same page. And so that, that's part of the culture change, right? Is that everybody wanted to go in that direction. What you needed to have the language to help link it. Right. Right. And so segmentation is part of that language. Right. You You developed it. So, Mark, if I'm a business owner listening today, how would I know if the time is right to delve into market segmentation? How did you know that this was an opportunity that was just waiting to happen at Crystal Flash? Yeah, Sherry, that's an interesting question because I don't know any different. That's just where I gravitate to. So as soon as I got to Crystal Flash, we started that process, right? And so we started on the commercial side when I was involved in that. Um, and then we moved into the residential. So, um, but I think that anytime's a good time to look at market segmentation. If we can add clarity into our business and understand it, the, the difficulty is it does take some work. It does distract us from other things that may be the day to day priorities. This is really working on the business versus working in the business. Correct. And, and so it makes a, takes a commitment from people and to understand that it, 
it's not a short-term payoff, although there right. are some ahas that come as a result of it. Um, so it's really about, hey, I, I need to do something with my business. Either my sales have stagnated. Operationally, we're not as efficient as we think we should be, and we're not providing the level of customer service that we would like. If you have those things going on in your business, segmentation is is perfect to help you understand what your opportunities are. Right. It sounds like if you really don't know where your business is coming from and what your customer looks like, where your best customers are, where your mid-range customers are, and where your low-end customers are, you could probably be helped by doing some market segmentation. And I would guess that a lot of small to mid-sized companies aren't delving into that because what I heard you say about your background is you came from a Fortune 150 where this was just standard operating procedure. This is just how we do it. It probably is not standard operating procedure for most small to mid-sized companies. They probably are in that spot where they don't know their customer base as well as they should. So if that's the case, yeah, that's market a great segmentation point. could probably help them. And I'll be honest, I was there because I joined that Fortune 150 company as a result of an acquisition. So I had not been exposed to it. I didn't know about these techniques. And so I was glad that for somebody to teach that to me. But, right. Uh, since I've been involved in it for the last 25 or almost going on 26 years now, I, there is not a situation where I don't think that it's beneficial. Right. My closet, I do the same thing. I look through there, I 80-20 my closet. I don't wear this, <laughs> it goes out every year, right? So we're doing our own segmentation in our sure. lives, right? And so this is just, um, it's an extension of that in our businesses. So, And you can apply it into the operational side, the sales side, the supply side, HR. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can use segmentation to help understand and also just help gain focus because it's too hard to do everything. Right. You just can't. Right. We can in our business. And so if I'm going to make choices and I have to, what am I going to choose to do and how am I going to prioritize? Well, the only way I can do that is segment it. And I get to segment it based on what I think is important to our business, right? Important to our customers. So I wouldn't pretend to, to make that same judgment for somebody else, right? Absolutely. They can decide based on what they want to achieve and their goals, right? Right, right. So really, it's up to them to say, it's time for us to do this. It's time to evolve our operation and, and the way that we do business and take this next step. Yep. Mark, again, if listeners have questions about how did you do this market segmentation, or I heard a piece of this, I'd like more information about that, or if they just want to find out about careers or opportunities at Crystal Flash, how could they get in touch with you or someone at the organization? So my email address, I'll put that out there, is M-A-R-C-F as in Frank at crystalflash.com, and right. I'd be happy to respond to anybody that reaches out to me. Regarding careers and whatnot, they can go to our website at www.crystalflash.com. Terrific. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.